Welcome to the Southcrest Live podcast. If this is your first time to listen, please connect with us at www.southcrest.org for more information. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. There is no other name like Jesus. In fact, would you just say that name with me? Jesus. That's why we're here today. It's because of Jesus. Open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1. I told you last week that this letter is one of the shortest ones that Paul wrote and to a church that he had never visited. He did not plant this church, but one of the men that was saved under his leadership planted this church. I want to begin reading in verse 3, and I want you to know that verses 3 all the way down to verse 8 are one sentence. Now, I'm not going to try to read it in one breath, but it is all one sentence, and it is full of good news. We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come to you as it has also in all the world, and is bringing forth fruit, as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Would you pray with me? Lord, uh, we know there are people in this very room who have responded to the gospel and it has changed their life. And we pray for those today that have yet to respond, and we also pray for those who need to be reminded of just what the gospel has done. Thank you for your word. We pray that you will use it to bear fruit today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We live in a world of bad news. Wouldn't you like to have some good news? Now, before I share with you that, I I want to share with you some actual headlines that were in newspapers. These are true. These actually appeared. And if you think about it, headlines can be misinterpreted. So some of you are going to have to think, which I know is going to be difficult, strenuous for some of you. But listen to these headlines. Grandmother of eight makes hole in one. You didn't get that one. Dealers will hear car talk at noon. Miners refuse to work after death. It's kind of rude, isn't it? Two sisters reunite after 18 years at checkout counter. (laughs) Here's one of my favorites. (laughs) Utah girl does well in dog shows. Something went wrong in jet crash, experts say. You think? You'll have to think on this one. Joint committee investigates marijuana use. (laughs) Maybe that's what we need, a joint committee. 
New obesity study looks for larger test group. (laughs) Include your children when baking cookies. Hospital sued by seven foot doctors. Two convicts escape, or excuse me, two convicts evade noose, jury hung. Sometimes the news can be confusing, especially depending on if you just read the headlines. Back in the 1970s, Ann Murray recorded a song. Part of the lyrics go like this. There's a local paper rolled up in a rubber band. One more sad stories, one more than I can stand. Just once, I'd like to see the headlines say, not much to print today, can't find nothing bad to say because nobody robbed a liquor store on the lower part of town, nobody OD'd, nobody burned a single building down, nobody fired a shot in anger, nobody had to die in vain. We sure could use a little good news today. If you stop and think about it, most of the news that we get is bad news. It's some kind of sensational thing. And they don't like to report on the good news. It's because it's not as sensational, I guess, or they don't think people will listen. Well, I'm going to give you some good news today. Actually, I didn't give it to you. God gave it to us. But I want to share with you the good news. And Paul, as he begins writing this letter, speaks of the gospel. Now, you find that word used 98 times in the King James Version, 91 times in the NIV, 99 times in the New American Standard Bible. The gospel word, it actually means good news. And all of the derivatives of it, nouns and verbs, speak of the good news. For example, an evangelist, this comes from that word, euangelizo, um, um, which is good news or gospel. It means to preach the good news. And so all of those derivatives mean good. And even though Paul had never visited Colossae, when he heard about the believers and their faith in Christ, it brought joy to his heart. And the first thing he does is he gives thanks to God and he prays for them. Now, now folks, there's a lesson right there before we go any further. When you hear good things about believers and you hear good things about churches and you hear good things about leaders in churches or not just in church, but in in general, we ought to pray for them. Now, we have a tendency to pray for those who are in trouble or are going through physical difficulty or whatever. We need to pray and we do need to pray for them. But do you just pray for the leadership? Do you pray for people that you know that God is using? Do you pray for other churches? And the reason we need to pray for them because they will be attacked. Satan will do everything he can to destroy their testimony and their witness. And and when you hear or see someone doing well, well, thank the Lord for them. And Paul begins by saying, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying for you always. How thankful are you? In her book, Springs in the Valley, Letty Cowman writes about a man who found a barn where Satan stored the seeds that he sows in the human heart. Now, to his surprise, the man found that the seeds of discouragement were more numerous than the others. And Satan claimed that they could be made to grow almost anywhere. But Satan reluctantly admitted that there was one place he could never get the seeds of discouragement to grow. And the man said, where is that? And Satan said, in the heart 
of a grateful person. Now this is a mythical story and if you just woke up, it's not in the Bible. But the, but the point is absolutely true. Discouragement does not grow in the heart of a grateful person. And Paul is proof of this because he's in prison writing this. And when he hears about the Colossians, the first thing he does is he, give th- he gives thanks and he rejoices in what God is doing. I want to ask you something. Are you a grateful person? Every day of your life, you should get up and thank God for the material, physical, relational, and spiritual blessings that are in your life every day God thank you for what I have thank you for what you've done for me Robert Morgan says the words thank and think come from the same root word makes a lot of sense then that thanksgiving comes from thinking about the blessings that God has done Think for a moment all that God has done for you. Now, I know some of you came in this morning, you're probably thinking, well, he hasn't done a whole lot for me. Yes, he has. Among, among one thing is your salvation, but how many of you thank God for your church? Do you thank God for Southcrest? We're not the only church. But do you thank God for it? I mean, stop and think about it. There, there are a lot of places today where, where you won't sing about Jesus, you won't be uplifted, you won't hear the word of God, and you sure won't find any friendly people. Don't ever take for granted your church because it can change. Trust me, it can change. You should give thanks for the church of Jesus Christ around the world. I'm thankful for other churches that are teaching the truth and sharing Jesus and growing. We want them to grow. We're outnumbered. Well, Paul mentions that we've been blessed with the gospel. And I know that you know when I say the word gospel, already you know what it means. However, I want to remind you, as Paul reminds them, of the the truth of the gospel that transforms lives. Why do we share the gospel? Well, with that in mind, I want you to think about the gospel with me. First of all, it starts with faith. We are saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Trust. Romans 4, verse 4 and 5 says, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. In other words, if you work for something, you earned it. You deserve what you earn. And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Your salvation was not given to you as a reward. You didn't earn it. You weren't almost saved before you got saved. You were totally lost and then totally saved when Jesus came into your life. And it's a gift that you receive through Jesus. Saving faith, though, is more than just mentally agreeing with the facts about Jesus. A lot of people believe in the virgin birth. A lot of people believe that Jesus died on the cross. They believe that he rose again from the dead and still do not possess a saving faith. I believe in George Washington. Do you? No, yeah, do you believe George Washington existed? I never met him. He'd been dead a long time. Some of you may have known him personally, but he'd been dead a long time. (laughs) George Washington, he was our first president. He was, as far as I know, a hero in the Revolutionary War for our independence. 
I believe in George Washington, but I've never trusted him for anything because George Washington won't change my life. And it's not a question of whether or not you have faith. You have faith. Every time you mail a letter, you have faith in the postal system. Every time you drive and you cross a bridge, you have faith that that architect and that engineer and those builders built that thing to hold you. You had faith when you came in and sat down in these chairs. Some of you didn't sit, you plopped in the chair. The older I get, the more I plop in a chair. But you didn't even think about it. You didn't come out and see anybody come in and feel, I wonder if this thing will hold me. See, it's not a matter of faith. Everyone has faith. But it's what you've placed your faith in. If it's not in Jesus Christ, you're not saved. If it's in the church, you're not saved. If it's in your good works, you're not saved. It starts with faith. The gospel is good news. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. It starts by trusting Jesus. But then it also is shown in love. In verse 4, since, you heard, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints. Now Paul places love right along their faith because their faith and their love showed, that, showed Paul that the Colossians were born again. They both go together. You can't be an unloving person and have faith in Jesus Christ and trust in him. The British theologian Francis Burkett said, faith and love are inseparable companions. There's a necessary connection between them. Faith without love is no living grace, and love without faith is not saving grace. John 13, 34, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Christians are not identified by their Bible knowledge, by their, their moral standards. They're not identified by ministry participation or good works or spiritual gifts. They are identified by their love for one another. Saved people love other saved people. Now, did you notice the word, all the saints? We're called saints. I told you this last week. You don't need, all believers are saints. You don't need the Pope to canonize you to be a saint. You're already a saint. But did you know this word is never used individually? It's always used collectively as a group. The saints are in this room. It's not used individually. So don't start calling me Saint David. I'm not going to call you Saint whatever your name is. It's collective. But we are all saints. But the good news is when the saints go marching in, you'll be in that number if you have faith in Jesus Christ. But in verse 8, he also mentions that love again from Epaphras. Their pastor said, he declared to us your love in the Spirit. I'm glad that our church has a reputation of being kind and loving and friendly. I, at least I hope it is. 
I know that occasionally there's going to be an exception, but for the most part, and, we're, and not, I didn't say we were perfect. We are just a group of people who've loved Jesus and as a result of coming to Christ all the same way through faith in him, we love each other. But when it comes right down to it, loving all the saints, that's a little hard, isn't it? There's an old poem that goes like this, to live above with the saints we love, oh, that will be glory. To live below with the saints we know, now that's a different story. <laughs> I heard about a preacher who was preparing a sermon on loving one another, and he was in his home study preparing, and he had recently that morning poured concrete for a new driveway at his house. And as he was in the house, working on his sermon about loving others, he heard some kids laughing and he looked out the window and there were some kids walking through his freshly poured concrete, putting footprints and handprints and writing in it and they were having a good time. Well, in anger, he ran out of the house screaming for the boys to get out of his driveway and they quickly dispersed. He came back in his study and his wife came in for a moment and was teasing him a little bit and said, I thought you were supposed to love one another. Didn't sound like you loved those boys very much. And he said, I do love them. I love them in the abstract, but not in the concrete. <laughs> well, there are a lot of people who love in the abstract. Oh, yeah, I know they're brothers, brothers and sisters in Christ. I, I love them. But do you love them in the concrete? Do you show it? It's easier to talk about loving Christians than it is to love all the Christians. There are two kinds of Christians. Some of them are easy to love, and the rest of them are easier to love. We're supposed to love all of them, to be kind to them. We all have our warts. We all have our problems. We've all got issues. But the secret is allowing Jesus to love unlovely people through us because we once were unlovely ourselves. See, that's the problem. If you grow up in church, you don't ever think you're unlovely. But in the eyes of God, your sin has separated you from God just like the most vile sinner you can ever imagine is separated from God too. And by the way, you can't love God and hate the church. Nobody agrees with me, huh? I heard a couple mumbles. See, this idea has come up that, well, I love Jesus. I just don't love the church. You didn't get that from the Bible because it's an unbiblical imagination. It's, it's not how it works. Paul says it. He heard from Epaphras who had come to him in prison. Their faith was evident, but their love for one another was evident. Listen, this is a hospital for sinners. It's not a perfect place. And there are going to be some people that are easier to love and then others who are easier to love. But we're supposed to be kind. Why? Because we're all in the same boat. We are. And when you realize that, you begin to love people a little bit easier because she, you think, we, we think sometimes that it, it was a little easier. Now, you've got to admit, I'm, I'm right on this. It, it was a little easier for God to love me than it was of so-and-so over here. <laughs> right? Am I right? Yeah, I'm right. I know I'm, I'm always right. <laughs> My wife is not here today. She's probably watching online. <laughs> but you can't get to me today. 
just teasing. We're all in the same boat. So their faith is evident. Their love for one another is evident. But the gospel is also secured with hope. Verse five, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. Now there's a word that we use a lot, hope. But the word hope in the English doesn't capture the power of the word in the Bible. We, we use the term, I hope my team wins. I hope things will work out. I hope I make a good great on the test. I hope his sermon is short, so forth. But the Bible word, a biblical word for hope, means to have absolute assurance of a promise being fulfilled. Absolute assurance of a promise being fulfilled. And, and the scriptures, verse 5 says, because of the hope, the absolute promise, the absolute assurance of a promise fulfilled is laid up in heaven. Now, the word laid up is the same word Jesus used in Matthew 6 where he says, lay up treasures for yourself in heaven. But the word laid up means to store in a safe place. It's in heaven. Paul's very careful to qualify the hope as being true hope based on the gospel. He said, because of the hope which is stored up for you in heaven of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. You see, Hope is not just something that you try to imagine and speculate on. Real hope, which the promised assurance of things to come, is based in Jesus. And when you've placed your life in Christ, your hope is secure. Your assurance is secure. Romans 8, 24. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Hope is about the future. Your hope is in heaven. You're not hoping you go there. If you know Jesus as your Savior, it's assurance that you're going there. But it's laid up for you. It's waiting for you. You don't have to worry about it. One pastor put it this way. The four letters of hope can stand for Having only positive expectations. H-O-P-E, having only positive expectations. Paul says that the reason why the Colossians had abiding hope for the future was because it was based in Jesus Christ. We can't live without hope. It's amazing to me how many people on earth today live without any hope. Now, there's some hoping that it's going to get better after the election. <laughs> there's some they're going to hope if, if they win the lottery, things are going to get better for them. You know, they can only hope on things on this earth. John Maxwell wrote about a town in Maine, true story, that was next to a river, and the state was going to dam up the river to make a hydroelectric plant and when they did that, this town was going to be underwater. So they paid for the people's property and they gave people several months, actually probably about over a year, to move. 
But they said during those months, a curious thing happened. All improvements to the town stopped. No painting was done. No repairs were made on the building or roads or the sidewalks. Day by day, the whole town got shabbier and shabbier. A long time before the waters came, the town looked uncared for and abandoned, even though the people had not yet moved away. One citizen explained, when there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. Well, there are a lot of people living their lives that way. They have no hope. Why do you think so many people harm themselves or medicate themselves or even take their life? Because many times, not all the time, but many times they don't have any hope. And true Christians are people of hope. Our hope is not based on people. Our hope is not based on our possessions or our circumstances. Our hope is laid up in heaven, it says. It tells us about the assurance of salvation. It's from heaven. It's not from preachers. It's not from parents. It's not from decision counselors. Assurance comes from God who puts heaven in our heart. Let me write this verse down. 1 Peter 1, verse 3 and 4. Listen, let me read it to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you. That's what the gospel does for you. Gives you hope, assurance. But notice something else about the gospel. It spans the world. Look at verse 6. Which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit. Did you know? Here's a safe place to say amen. Would you please say it? (laughs) The good news is for all people. It's not just an American thing. On the night that Jesus was born, the angel said to the shepherds, I bring you good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. Christianity is not an American religion. Christianity is for the world. The gospel had come to Colossae and Paul was sure that it was the true gospel because of their faith and their love and their assurance. But Paul was, and Paul wasn't saying that everyone in the world had already heard. He was saying that the gospel was doing the same thing it did everywhere it went in the world. Just like in Colossae, everywhere it went in the world, it was changing lives. It was transforming people. It was giving them hope. It was giving them assurance. The power of the gospel is not a military or a political or an economic power. Romans 1.16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Why do we spend money paying, uh, supporting missionaries? Why do we spend money planting churches? Why do we want it to go outside the wall after, or outside of our city? After all, aren't there enough lost people in love? But can't we just spend all our time and effort here? There'll be somebody who'll say that. But it's for the world. And unless we send them, unless we go, unless we participate, the world will not hear them. 
I'm thankful for a church that believes in the gospel going to the world. And that's why we support the missions we do. The gospel is not confined to Lubbock, Texas. It's not confined to any one race or any one nation. What's incredible, when the gospel goes to Asia, people respond to it. They are saved just like we are. And when it goes to Europe and people respond to the gospel, they are saved just like we are. And when it goes to Africa and South America and Central America and Russia and Australia and all over the world, the power of the gospel spans the world. And it's power in the gospel. It's not a military power. It's not an economic power. A man's mental capacity will determine the studies that he or she can undertake. A person's social class will decide the circle among which they will move. A person's material wealth will decide the possessions that they can amass. A person's particular gifts decides the things that they can do. But the message of the gospel is open without exception to everyone. Amen? Spans the world, doesn't it? But not only that, here's one of the best parts. It supplies new fruit. Look at verse 6. And is bringing forth fruit. As it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. Now that, I'm reading out of a New King James Version translation. Is bringing forth fruit is in the middle voice. It's a participle that's in the middle voice. Let me tell you what that means. It means that God's word has the ability in itself to transform lives. It produces fruit. It's, it's the word of God and nothing more and nothing else that only has the power to produce faith, hope, and love. It's the word of God that will cause the increase. And when a church focuses and gives a clear understanding of the truth of God, it will always be a fruit-bearing church. Now, it may not show in numbers because depending on where it's located, the numbers may not be there. But the fruit will not only be borne out in people coming to Jesus, but it will be borne out in the fact that the, the people of God began to mature and grow. Justification right before God's sanctification, you're growing in the Lord. And this is a powerful metaphor describing the work of the gospel among unbelievers. Romans 1.13, Paul said, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but I've been re prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. Is bearing fruit stresses the continuous activity of the word of God. Since the day you heard, he says, the construction stresses the past as well as the present fruitfulness of the gospel. You see, when you hear the word of God, it changes your life and continually changes your life. I'd like to offer a word of encouragement to those of you who teach the Bible, who teach the word. There are a lot of Sunday school teachers in here, life group teachers. They work hard. They, they teach you the word of God. 
And those of you who are, by the way, if you're not in a life group, you ought to be. Trust me. If there's ever a group of people who will take care of you and who will know your name and respond to your needs, it's a life, it's a Sunday school class. We're like a mall for small churches. And our small groups are large. We have large small groups. And a lot of you aren't in one, and I'm always afraid you're going to fall through the cracks and not know anyone, but the way you get to know people is in it. But I, dig- I, don't, I, dig- I don't digress. Gress, that was just extra. Those teachers that teach in those classes, I want you to remember something. They may just get up and leave, and most of you do. You just get up and leave. Don't ever say thank you. Don't ever say I got something out of it. You just get up and leave. It's kind of like you're owed something for enduring but you're not. You ought to thank God for your Sunday school teachers. You ought to thank God for those who teach the word of God. If they're not, maybe it's not a Sunday school teacher anyway. Thank God for them. They taught you the word. But sometimes I, I got to confess to you, uh, there are times when I feel like the word of God goes out there and people grab it. And there's sometimes it feels like it falls off into flowers. It's just a brick fell into flowers. But I've learned I'm not fishing for a compliment, by the way. I've learned that no matter how you feel after you have taught or proclaimed or expounded the word of God, don't ever think for a moment that it wasn't used somewhere. Because it is. It never returns void. May we always be, as a church, people who teach and respond and learn the word of God. You know what? I'm not smart enough to give you anything else but this. I don't have any opinions you care about. I I don't have any creative psychology that you need. You need the word of God. So do I. So let's just look at it and that's why we do it this way. After all, when the word of God always points people to Jesus, And when Jesus is lifted up, I'm pretty sure he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all people to me. So you want to know why people are coming here? Because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus. The gospel is also settled in grace. Don't miss this. It says they knew, in verse 6, knew the grace of God in truth. Grace, grace, grace. What is grace? It's not something you say at the table. You're thanking God for the food. You don't say grace over food. Grace is what God gave you that you didn't deserve. You deserve punishment. He gave you forgiveness. You deserve hell. He gave you heaven. You deserve to die. He gave you life. It's by God's grace. And any gospel, any gospel that teaches you otherwise is not the gospel. It only comes from God. Ephesians 2, in fact, Acts 20, 24 says the gospel of the grace of God. Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works lest anyone should ever boast. You didn't partially save yourself. Jesus did it all. 
Grace is unmerited favor. It's unearned kindness. It's undeserved benevolence. When God gives you what you don't deserve, God demonstrated his sovereignty in creation. He demonstrated his faithfulness in the exodus. He demonstrated his divine holiness in the law of Moses. He demonstrated his divine love through Jesus and the cross. But God demonstrates his divine grace through the church, those who've been redeemed by the grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And when people come in here, we are to bestow grace upon them. Finally, your favorite word, finally. The gospel is shared by people. Did you notice what happened here? Verse 7 and 8 says, As you learned from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. The Colossians were first taught the gospel not by some big name speaker but by a hometown boy, Epaphras. Epaphras met Christ probably in Ephesus under Paul's ministry. Came back home, simply shared the good news. Other people responded. Next thing you know, you've got a group of people who are meeting in the home of Philemon as a church. They didn't have a building. They didn't have to have a building. But they had responded to the gospel and they kept communicating it, kept sharing it. God's ordained method of learning his word found in 2 Timothy 2, 2. And the things that you have heard from me, Paul writes, among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Epaphras for the Colossian church was that faithful man that taught them. Now, I ask you this, and I'm closing. How much good news do you share with people? Man, we like to share the bad news, don't we? You hear a piece of gossip and it flies around like you can't believe. But, but we, have, we have great news in a world that's sinking in sin. That they can be forgiven and have a new life, and have purpose. And God gives them assurance, and they have hope that is secure. Nothing in this world is secure except salvation. Right now, you're trying to secure all your possessions. You're trying to hedge any kind of problem with anything that'll happen with the stock market, or with bonds, or securities, or gold, or whatever. I hate to tell you this, there ain't nothing secure on this earth except Jesus. And one of these days, I'm going home to what's laid up, stored in a safe place in heaven. If you don't know Jesus, you don't have to join our church. You've got to turn from your sin and come to Christ. Asking God to forgive you and trusting with all your heart Jesus as your Savior. If you don't have a church, <laughs> I think you're crazy for not coming here. <laughs> not because of the pastor, but because of the people. 
as you were receiving the elements a moment ago, tears came to my eyes. Because I looked around and some of you I've known a long time. And I thank God for you. Some of you are new. And I'm thinking, you know what? I may not know you like I know some of these I've known for 29 years, but, but you're in for a treat when you get to know these people. Oh, they're, they got warts, I'll tell you that. They're not contagious, but they have warts. So do I. Not literally. None of us are perfect. And it's going to be a day when we'll disappoint you. But I'm telling you, you want somebody to assault hell with you with a water pistol, they'll do it. They will. They'll stand by you if they know it. And I can't tell you how grateful I am to be part of this fellowship. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, thank you for the gospel. May people respond now to the gospel, Jesus Christ. Pray that they'll turn from their sin, they'll come to you. If they're at home, that right now in their living room, they would pray and receive you as their Savior. If they're in another country, I pray, Father, that they will understand that the gospel is the same there as it is everywhere around the world, that people would respond. And Lord, for those of us who are recipients of that grace and gospel, thank you, thank you, thank you for what you've done for us. Thank you for allowing us to be part of a wonderful, sweet church. I pray that people would continue to come and want to be a part of it. I pray for those that need to be baptized. I pray for those you're calling to special service into missions. God, may we always be a mission-minded, Bible-believing, teaching church. I pray now that people would respond to you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you would like more information, to make a commitment, or to request prayer, please text the word podcast to 555-888. You can also connect with us on our Southcrest app or our website for complete worship services or to plan to visit us in person. Thanks again for listening.